about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My father, if it is possible, May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. second Bible reading comes from Hebrews, starting at 4.14, and can be found on page 970 of the Pew Bibles. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to, has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honour on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son, Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. 
Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Well, good evening. My name's Roger. I'm one of the ministers here. I know it's difficult to believe just looking at me, but this week I became a grandparent. Um, My son and his wife had a little baby boy called Augustine, um, and we were just delighted. He's been a delight to cuddle. Wow. It's it's quite a thing. Um, So, yeah, we're just delighting in God's goodness to us and really rejoicing uh, in uh, in their son. Um, and looking forward to what that means in the future as well. Well, let me pray as we come to God's word. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us, and we thank you and praise you for your word. And we ask this evening as we come together to share um, in, in your word that you would speak to us, that you would help us continue to be transformed into your likeness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been gun a series from Hebrews and we've been thinking about the theme of keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. Um, Last week, we heard a, a warning, a warning about drifting away. We heard it in the words like this, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you are found to have fallen short of it. Or in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7, we read words like this, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. It was a strong warning. Phil reminded us that it's important for us to continue to foster our faith and continue to foster our relationship with Jesus, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, Martin Luther describes uh, what happens next like this. He says, if last week was about terrifying us, This week is about comforting us. I kind of think of this week as being a bit like a big warm cuddle. After laying the facts before us, warning us, what we have at this moment is a warm cuddle to keep us going, an encouragement to keep on. So let's look together at what this warm cuddle looks like this evening. And what we're going to discover is that Jesus is our great high priest or even the best high priest ever. Um, And that's going to warm our hearts because of what that actually means for us as we follow Jesus. Now, as we come to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, which is where we're going to start, uh, it begins like this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, and then you'll notice it says a number of other things there, it encourages us to do two things. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess and let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Those are the two things that the writer of the Hebrews wants us to do. To hold firmly to the faith we profess, he's warned us, and also to approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Now important to doing this is Jesus as a high priest. And so we need to understand, what does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus is our high priest? What does it mean that he's our great high priest? And how does that help us to hold firmly to the faith we profess? And how does that give us confidence as we approach God's throne of grace? 
Now, the writer of Hebrews unpacks this for us actually in the first 10 verses of chapter 5. So what we're going to do is look at those verses and then come back to these statements at the end uh, to see if we can shed further light on what these statements are saying. Well, initially, what we hear um, in the beginning of chapter 5 is three things about high priests. In chapter 5, verse 1, we hear that the high priest's function is to make an atonement for sin. See there in verse 1? Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And what this is clearly representing is what happened in the Old Testament. We know the Old Testament system where sacrifices were um, offered on behalf of people as a result of their sinfulness. Now, for us, that notion of offering sacrifices in terms of sin seems a little bit odd, uh, particularly when we read our passages in Leviticus and we see what it actually involved. Let me read to you from Leviticus chapter 1. Uh, This is a priest and what he's doing as he offers sacrifices. He shall lay his his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make an atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord and Aaron's sons and priests shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. If you want to think about sacrifice in the Old Testament, what you think about is blood and lots of it. Animals being killed, lives being taken. And to our sensibilities, that sounds very foreign. Uh, We're not often exposed to animals being killed, uh, just in the culture that we live in. We have very little to do with it. And yet, of course, it happens every single day. And it's a bit confronting to think about a high priest walking into the temple and offering sacrifices like this. So let's just take a moment to think about what does this actually mean? Why are these sacrifices being offered? Well, if we stand back a fair way, one of the things that we notice is that sacrifices are often associated with love. Where do you notice that? When you sacrifice something, you're often showing love to others. This board here has many names on it. Quite a number of those names were people who gave their lives in order that we might have freedom in this country. They loved their families and their country and so they sacrificed their lives. I can remember the moment when I got, was engaged and uh, I remember thinking, oh, I, I have to sacrifice. <laughs> it's, it's not just about me. Now, the truth is whether you're single or engaged or married or whatever, whatever state you're in, it's actually not just about you. And if you're going to commit to a relationship, you're going to sacrifice something. It's going to involve giving up something along the way. Of course, sacrifice is not only about this idea of loving someone, it's also about the notion of forgiveness. And very often the idea of sacrificing someone, uh, for someone is involved in forgiveness. Someone does a wrong against you, They've stolen from you. It's not coming back. To forgive them will cost you something. It means you will actually have to sacrifice something to forgive someone else. You'll actually have to take it into yourself, so to speak, the hurt or the pain or the thing that you've lost in order to forgive others. And so if we think about that broader context of sacrifices, 
What we also discover in the Old Testament is that sacrifices have a particular role and it's to do with God's wrath. See, God is a holy and just God and he cannot let sin go by. And he says, when you or I sin against him, against a holy God, we stand under judgment, under his wrath, and the penalty is death. Now that's a pretty scary thing to think about. And yet God wanted to reach out to us and make a way. And he does, through sacrifice. And so the priests mediated on behalf of the people and they came into the temple and they came to the the Day of Atonement that happened every year and they offered a sacrifice for the sins of of all, all the people. A life was taken. God's judgment fell upon that life and that life stood in their place. Now, you may feel squeamish or uncomfortable, as I do often, about thinking about these things. And you may wonder, why does God actually organise things this way? Well, I'll tell you, I I can't answer that question for you. But actually, it's God's business to organise things that way. And so I accept what he says. I believe what he says. But what's more important is that he's so committed to making a way, so committed to this sacrifice that he actually sends his own son to stand in our place. And Jesus makes the decision to stand in our place and offer his life for ours. That's just a beautiful moment. He becomes the mediator. He becomes the high priest. Now we'll think more about that as we go, but it's important to understand that sacrifices are important to who we are in terms of our connection with God. Now, not only that, we start to discover in chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, that the high priest is also someone who's able to sympathise with those he's sacrificing on the behalf of. See there, he says, he will be able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and who are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. The truth is that as the priest came along to sacrifice for the sins of the people, he had to first offer sacrifices for himself because he recognised that he was in the same position as the people he was offering sacrifices for, he was mediating for. And so he had to make sure that he was right before God before he could go into the Holy of Holies. And such was the awe and reverence for what was taking place. Um, At some times throughout Israel's history, there was a rope tied around the high priest's ankle. And that was because as the priest went in to offer these sacrifices, people were worried that he might not come back out alive, that the judgment might fall on, on him. And what were they to do? No one could go into the holies of holies. He couldn't leave him in there for the next year. And so they tied a rope around his legs so they could pull him out. But the high priest, and the point that Hebrews is making here, is that the high priest showed empathy to those who were subject to weakness because he too understood his own weakness and therefore was able 
to offer sacrifices in a way that dealt with people gently. You see there in verse 2. Well, the final point that um, the writer of the Hebrews wants to make here is that the high priest is called by God. Verse 4, And no one takes this honour on himself, but receives it when he is called by God, just as Aaron was. Now, the truth is that the people of Israel, the whole people of Israel, were seen as priests to all the other nations. But within that context, there was also the Aaronic priesthood. And within that, there were people who actually were chosen to be high priests. There were people who were set aside, a tribe that was set aside um, to be priests. And from within that, there was the high priest. And these people were chosen by God. God called them to be the priests on behalf of the people of Israel. And so it wasn't a position where you could just say, I'm going to be the high priest, I'm going to offer myself and I'm going to do these things on your behalf. Although actually in history it did come along that sometimes there was great fights about who's going to be the high priest and clearly God was not impressed with that because that was not the way he intended. It was an honour to be invited as a high priest, to mediate on the behalf of others. And so the writer of the Hebrews reminds us that actually you are invited, you are called by God to be a high priest. Now what the writer of the Hebrews does now is that he takes those categories and applies them to Jesus. And he does it in the opposite order. See there in verses 5 and 6, he starts to talk about Jesus as the high priest chosen by God. See there in verse 5, in the same way God did not take on himself Uh, Christ, sorry, did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now already we've heard that no one presumes to take the honour of a high priest on by themselves. They're only summoned by God, but that is actually heightened here. I mean, it's heightened here with references to both Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. And here it's as if God is directly speaking to Jesus. It's not just that he belongs to the right tribe or something, but there's kind of a direct voice. You have been chosen. You will be the high priest. And you might notice there's a, there's a reference here also to Melchizedek as well. Um, about being a high priest forever. And that's actually a different priesthood than the one we've actually been just talking about. And later on in Hebrews, we're going to come back to that and unpack that a little bit further. But for the moment, I think what it does is actually highlight for us that Jesus is an extra special high priest. He's a high priest that supersedes every other high priest. And God has chosen him as the high priest. Well, as the writer of the Hebrews continues, he talks about the empathy that Jesus also shows as a high priest. See there in verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. He learned obedience from what he suffered 
and he was once made perfect. Now, there's a lot to be said uh, in those verses, but let me just highlight a couple of things. I think behind this particular picture of Jesus' empathy with our humanity is that picture of him in the Garden of Gethsemane, which we heard read in, uh, from Matthew. In the Luke account, we hear the same thing, and this is what it says. He withdrew from a, sto- a stone's throw away beyond them and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, and not my will, but yours be done. And an angel of heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and, be- and-, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. As Jesus approaches the cross, we see him grappling with suffering. Grappling with suffering at a far deeper level than I think we'll ever understand. But he was a man who grappled with suffering. He grappled with the temptations of getting out of pain and suffering. He grappled with the, the idea of escaping away from the events that he was in. But he remained obedient. And that's what this passage reminds us all along. He came with a willing spirit in the midst of suffering and committed himself to serving God. Now, the suffering that Jesus um, experienced is just extraordinary, isn't it, when you think about it? He was betrayed by a close friend, betrayed by his disciples, led into a wrongful trial, falsely accused, treated unjustly, submitted to physical abuse, submitted to crown of thorns, dragging his cross to where he would be executed. He was identified with criminals and nails were ultimately driven into his hands. Jesus knew what it was to be weak and to be suffering. He knew the cruelties of this world far more than we will. And even in that final moment, when he's facing his own death, he said, is there a way for me to pass this cup on? Is there a way for me? Is there another way here? And yet, in the midst of it, he says, not my will, but yours be done. And what I want to suggest to you tonight is that that means that Jesus understands us. He was very human. He understands our weaknesses and our sufferings. He understands our lives and the way that they work. Yeah, sure, he hasn't experienced every single thing that you have. But he's experienced things at a greater depth than we can even imagine. And so he is a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us, who's able to walk beside us and walk uh, with us and knows what it actually is to be obedient in the midst of those circumstances. Knows what it means to continue in obedience in the midst of those circumstances. Jesus knew from the very beginning of his life that he would be marching towards this moment of his death 
and he chose to remain obedient. And I think that's what actually means it means here when it talks about him being perfected. He reaches the goal for which he, which he was set here, uh, set on earth uh, to achieve. And that is to go to the cross, to die in our place, and to rise again. And of course that brings us to the last point, the saving role of Christ the high priest in verses 9 and 10. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Because Jesus not only becomes the high priest and a mediator on our behalf, he actually becomes the sacrifice and offers us salvation, offers us rescue, offers to deal with our sins on the cross. So not only does he understand our weaknesses and the sufferings that we face, he also understands how to deal with them and does deal with them. And so God's wrath falls upon him and he is the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Well, Jesus is a better high priest, a wonderful high priest, an absolutely amazing high priest, a greater high priest. And it's with those thoughts in mind that we then return to chapter 4. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, he's beaten death, He's victorious. He sits at the right hand of God. Jesus, the Son of God, in light of that great victory, in light of who he is, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. How? Well, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. What a beautiful picture. A God who would reach out into our mess through his son, call us to himself and says, I understand your weaknesses. I understand the temptations. I understand the suffering that you might face. Hold firmly to the faith you profess. Now, I want to say that is a decision to hold firmly. That's something that you make a commitment to, actually at very difficult points in your life. It's something you need to say, actually, that's what I'm going to do at this moment. I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to hold firmly to the faith I profess. I remember the evening, and I don't want to get too dramatic here, but I remember the evening about 10 years ago when my brother uh, was dying. And uh, he is younger than me, 18 months younger. Um, the doctor had invited us into a small room um, and he and uh, me and his wife were there. Um, he had three small kids. Uh, things were not going well. Uh, he was having blood transfusion after blood transfusion and they just could not find where he was internally bleeding and it looked like it was the end. And I remember thinking, this is a moment where I have to make a decision. Will I hold on to the faith that I have or will I not? And I can remember walking the hospital grounds and going, actually, this is the time to hold on. 
this is the time to believe, to hold firmly to the faith that I profess. And God, by his strength, enabled me to do that, and enabled me to be able to say, actually, God, the outcome is yours. Whatever happens, I know you will give us grace as a family to cope. You will help us move forward. Now, miraculously, he survived. Uh, he was in a coma for quite a while, but he survived, uh, came back out of the coma um, and said, oh, I've actually been on a holiday. Um, <laughs> like, we were just completely blown away. He'd been on a beach somewhere. Um, uh, we were all kind of, whoa, and he was kind of, oh, I've had a good time. Um, crazy stuff. Um, he's still alive today. Uh, his kids are growing up, and of course, they're a happy family. I mean, life will never be quite as easy as it was, but uh, God and his goodness has given him extra time. Um, and I remember just that that was a moment. I had to just make a decision. I'm going to hold on. And you'll be confronted by those kind of moments, maybe not as serious as that, but it actually comes up every day, doesn't it? Where you go, actually, that's what I'm going to do. Because of this great high priest who's ascended into heaven, because of what he's done, I'm going to hold on firmly. Because I understand he empathises with my situation. Now, I do understand that this is not easy. And so that's why I think the writer of the Hebrews reminds us uh, that we need to enter the throne of grace. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because there are times when we will fail where we won't actually trust God in the ways that we could have. And he says, no, just come back. Have confidence because of what Jesus has done for you. Just come back. And you will receive mercy and find grace in your time of need. Because we cannot do this by ourselves. It is impossible to do it by ourselves. We need his help in all our times, not just in our times of need. And God's commitment to us is so sure, you see it in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see it in the great high priest that he's provided for you and me. And so come with confidence. It might be a confidence that says, God, I trust you, but I have no idea what's going on here. I trust you and I've stuffed it really badly. But I need your mercy and I need to find grace. Now you might find yourself in that position tonight. Can I encourage you to hold on firmly to the faith you profess and to approach God with confidence? Place your trust in him because he wants you to come. Now, one of the things that's helped me throughout life to remember this is uh, my dad. <laughs> um, my dad had a beautiful tenor voice and he used to sing this song all the time. Uh, it's, it's a bit twee. Um, but actually it's just a reminder that the songs that we sung in about 20 years' time will sound a bit toy as well, okay? It's just, just, just the way it is. That's why you shouldn't ever hold on to music too tightly because actually it just changes fashion as times go by. And that's okay, that's a good thing. But this is what he used to sing around the house uh, fairly regularly. He would say things like this. Uh, the song went like this. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful 
who with, with all our sorrows share. Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.